You're listening to an audio resource from Vineyard Church of the Rockies in Fort Collins, Colorado. We are joining God's mission, transforming all things, and you're invited. To learn more about us and how you can connect, please visit votr.church. Good morning, everyone. Happy Fourth of July weekend. It's so good to see you all. Welcome to everyone online as well. My name is Natalie, and I'm one of the pastors here at the Vineyard. It's great to be together this morning. We're continuing our series, The Best Sermon Ever. We're working our way through the Sermon on the Mount, which is found in Matthew 5, 6, and 7. As I was preparing for this morning, I was thinking back to my life before Christ. I was a very good kid. I always followed the rules to a T. Parents, you know when your kids bring home the kid that's super kind and nice and always follows the instructions and you're like secretly hoping and praying that they become best friends with your kids, right? We all, we've all thought that. I was that kid. I was that friend. Um, my parents never had to worry about anything that I did. They never worried about me getting into trouble. In fact, it might have helped them every now and then if I had, probably. Um, well, when I was younger, maybe eight years old, I remember going to Sunday school at church and hearing about the Ten Commandments for the first time and thinking, these are rules that I can live by, rules that would help me to be good. And I thought that that was enough. For centuries, people have thought that following Jesus meant following the rules, memorizing the Ten Commandments and living by them, and now I thought the same thing. But when I started to ask more questions about Jesus, when I started to really dig deeper, it became pretty clear that there was so much more. There was an opportunity for friendship, for worship, and even a partnership with God to see his kingdom grow around me. Now fast forward a few years, now I'm a teenager going to youth camps, and one, summer, one time at summer camp, I heard leaders share their stories. They shared about how they weren't perfect and how they made mistakes. But as I watched them, I began to notice that they were living way more freely than I was. And it was all about a surrendered life with Jesus. Now, this was a significant time in my life. Parents, offer to bring your kids, to ch- your kids' friends to church or to camp or to something. A great friend of mine invited me to camp, and my life was changed forever in that moment. One of the leaders at this camp who was so full of joy and freedom, he's actually a vineyard pastor in Ames, Iowa now. He had this huge part in my decision to follow Jesus and to surrender my life to him. He had no idea what an impact that he had made on my life, and now I get to see him at national conferences, and it's awesome to see how our lives are still connected. Well, that that invitation to church camp may have seemed small, but it changed my life. So again, if you can't bring the whole family to church, at least bring their kids. The leaders at this camp, they they had something that was drawing me in, and in that moment that I knew that surrender was the key to a life with Jesus, not just living a good life and following all the rules. It was then and there that I realized that I had nothing to give and that I couldn't be righteous on my own. Moral achievement wasn't enough, and it wasn't the same thing that they had with Jesus. I was good, but I was not surrendered. And there are a lot of good people in the world 
but that does not mean that they are righteous. It's trusting in Jesus, not just the rules that brings righteousness. And that's the main point for, of our scripture today. Read with me, Matthew 5, 17 to 20. Verse 17. Don't misunderstand why I have come. I did not come to abolish the law of Moses or the writings of the prophets. No, I came to accomplish their purpose. I tell you the truth, until heaven and earth disappear, not even the smallest detail of God's law will disappear until its purpose is achieved. So if you ignore the least commandment and teach others to do the same, you will be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. But anyone who obeys God's laws and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. But I warn you, unless your righteousness is better than the righteousness of the teachers of religious law and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. There's a lot going on in this text, and it's easy to get lost in the weeds, but the, the main point of what Jesus is saying here is that the righteousness of Christ far surpasses the righteousness of religion. Another way to say it would be righteousness from following rules will never compare to the righteousness that you, really, you receive from a life that is hidden in Christ. Now let's look again at verse 20, because it's such an important verse, not only in this passage, but many theologians and many different commentaries argue that it is the, the most important verse in the entire Sermon on the Mount. So everything kind of hinges on this verse, and it's the tipping point of all that's coming after. So let's read it one more time. Matthew 5, verse 20. But I warn you, unless your righteousness is better than the righteousness of the teachers of religious law and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. At our church, we have a phrase that's followed us along. It's crazy things that Jesus said, and this definitely qualifies. It's a crazy thing that Jesus said with some extra flavor because he starts the phrase with, but I warn you, which makes us all probably pay attention a little bit more. He's warning you to have a righteousness that exceeds and is greater than the righteousness of the teachers of religious law and the Pharisees. Here's a couple things to note. The religious leaders and the Pharisees they appeared to be some of the most righteous people that walked the earth. But a lot of it was this external posturing, not internal transformation. Most of the Pharisees, they memorized the first five books of the Old Testament before they were done with elementary school. They always prayed long prayers. They wore fancy clothes. And they drew attention to themselves when they gave to the poor. The Pharisees lived such an externally focused and strict life because they had this one core conviction. If they could just live good and holy lives, they could usher in God's kingdom through their own personal righteousness. They were so dedicated to this kind of behavior modification that they not only followed the rules, but they created more rules to keep them from breaking the rules. And this isn't, this isn't actually a horrible idea, though. If an addict is trying to get clean, they, can usually, they usually can't be around someone who is using because it's too easy to slip and fall. Or if you're protecting your kids from certain things on the internet, telling them to avoid bad websites isn't enough. You need to set, set up internet security to protect them, right? Rules 
to keep you from breaking the rules are not bad things. But the Pharisees' belief system was that personal effort and righteousness would bring the kingdom, and that's what led to oppressive rules and misguided religion instead of a close and personal relationship with God. But make, but make no mistake, they did appear righteous. And that's what makes this passage so radical, because Jesus was saying to the crowds, he's saying, imagine the Pharisees, imagine the most righteous people that you can think of, and now imagine this, that the kingdom of God requires a righteousness beyond what you see in them. This had a ripple effect. It created this fork in the road, because the listeners knew that they they could never surpass the righteousness of the Pharisees. And now they were stuck trying to figure out how they might find this new kind of righteousness. And this is still our calling. The same uneasiness or the fork in the road that the disciples experienced 2,000 years ago when they first heard this teaching is the same experience that we need to have today. The same question the disciples asked when they heard Jesus for the very first time say this is the same question that we need to ask today. What makes you righteous? There's a lot of ways to answer this question. One of the most common ways our culture answers this question is by applying the golden rule, treating others the way that you want to be treated. For many, this simply means, do my good deeds outweigh my bad deeds, but this isn't Christianity at all. And if you're not careful, it can still be turned into this transaction and not transformation. Let me paint a picture. So have you ever seen the the cartoons where a character is making a decision on what to do, and all of a sudden an angel appears on the shoulder, right? (laughs) They're making the right decision if they look and listen to what the angel is saying. And then all of a sudden on this shoulder, a demon shows up on the other shoulder with the evil, conniving decision. The more you pick the angel the more you are righteous, basically. Okay, the same idea is also where purgatory sits. The more bad deeds that you have, the more time you will have to wait in purgatory before you can go to heaven. When you don't have a savior, it's all about your ability to keep the rules. And up to my experience at church camp, the story I shared earlier, this was my life. I organized and fixated my life on following the rules and hoping that I had more good decisions than bad ones. But there's some, there's some major problems when you find, righteous, find righteousness in your ability to follow like the golden rule, right? When your answer relies on your ability to do what is right, on your behavior, your attitudes, or how well you love others, The major problem is this. One day you might be righteous, but the next you might be evil. It all depends on your strength, your ability, and your love. And I don't know about you, but I've seen my strength. I've seen my ability and my love, and it's not that pretty. I can be righteous one day and evil the next. I can even be righteous and wicked within the same hour. Okay? Outside of Christ, the golden rule doesn't free anyone to live a righteous life. It just keeps you on this treadmill of perfectionism, always hoping your good deeds outweigh your bad ones. And this is a common way that people think about righteousness outside of the faith. But we don't always do a great job of this inside the church. 
either. If we're not careful, churches can become these like Pharisee factories, cranking out do-gooders who focus way more on rules upon rules upon rules instead of the person of Jesus Christ. The 21st century has all kinds of pharisaical approaches to our faith. Some of us are recovering Pharisees, and others could become Pharisees if we are not careful, because following the rules makes all sorts of good little Christian boys and girls, right? Following biblical rules even gets you compliments, and you'll start to believe that behaviors equal righteousness. So here's what, here's what Christians say. If I read my Bible every single day, then I will be in a better place with God. If I serve every week or give every month or pray in all things, that will make me good and righteous with God. He'll love me more. He'll answer my prayers. And finally, I can feel good about where I am at. And the problem here is that it basically leads to either pride or shame. Pride because I've developed such good disciplines and now I've earned my righteousness. And in fact, I'm more righteous than others. But if you do bad or miss the mark, it leads to shame. If you haven't read your Bible in a long time or you've broken the habits that are so important to your faith, then all of a sudden shame creeps in because you're still placing righteousness on your achievements or failures of a man-made mark of what it means to be good. When it comes to your faith, are there areas of your life where you feel shame or pride? Those might be the areas to pay attention to because they might highlight part of your heart that's leaning toward being a Pharisee. But nobody wants pride, shame, or to become a Pharisee, which leads us to how the Bible answers that question. What makes you righteous? How did Jesus teach us to be righteous? The golden rule in being a Pharisee will not cut it, so what is it? Think back a few weeks when we looked at the Beatitudes together. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. It starts by recognizing our spiritual poverty. How our life is empty without Jesus, and how we need him for the kingdom of God to come. This is how we begin to find righteousness in Christ. Jesus is saying all throughout the sermon, this sermon that our righteousness depends on his righteousness. That our blessed life, it depends on his blessed life. That our freedom depends on his freedom. The golden rule isn't enough. And living this externally righteous life only leads to pride or shame. So once again, we're asking the question, what makes you righteous? And the Bible teaches there's only one thing. Christ alone makes you righteous. Again, the main, main point of this message is that righteous, the righteousness of Christ far surpasses the righteousness of religion. There's only one way that you can be made righteous. Your only hope is to totally and completely rely on the one who is perfectly righteous and who died in your place. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says it this way. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. The cross of Christ is the place of this great exchange. When, When Jesus died on the cross, he took 
all of your sin with him, and he gave you his righteousness instead. Following Jesus isn't about rules or regulations or being more religious. It's about a relationship with the perfect one who knew no sin, yet took it upon himself so that we could be free. In the theological world, we call this imputed righteousness. We don't deserve it. We definitely do not earn it. But the beauty of the cross is that we leave all of our baggage behind us, and he puts all of his righteousness inside of us. And I know so many of us carry our sin and shame like a rope around our necks, reminding us of all of our mistakes. But the beauty of the gospel is that Jesus, his righteousness divines us, not our past. There's this, there's this beautiful movie that summarizes what we've been talking about this morning. If you haven't seen it, I want to recommend the movie The Mission. The soundtrack's amazing. The storyline and character development is super interesting. And there are these beautiful moments of transformation in it. The opening scene of the movie starts with a Jesuit priest being martyred. He was tied to a cross by the Guarani Indians. He was placed in a river and sent over a waterfall. What they didn't know was that his martyrdom inspired Father Gabriel, one of the main characters in the movie, to go to the Guarani tribe and share Jesus with them. But he wasn't the only Jesuit that went back into the jungle. Father Gabriel took along with him this criminal mastermind named Mendoza. Mendoza was a murderer He was filled with pride, and he even kidnapped and captured these same tribe members and sold them into slavery. Mendoza joined the ministry trip as penance, hoping that his his future good decisions would outweigh his previous life. Now, as they were hiking into the jungle, Mendoza decided to carry with him all of his armor, his swords, shields, and everything that represented his old life. It was incredibly heavy, and it was tied around his neck and his waist as he dragged it along on the journey. They had to hike. They got into canoes, portaged through waterfalls, and eventually the journey finished with this giant climb up hundreds of feet. But Mendoza was struggling. He was falling down under the weight of the baggage and the armor. When Mendoza was struggling to carry his armor up the mountain, one of the Jesuits couldn't take it anymore, and he cut the rope that Mendoza was using to carry the extra weight. Mendoza's belongings went crashing down the mountain. But instead of leaving it all behind, he ended up chasing back after that baggage. He ended up tying all of the junk around his neck again, and he continued to hike up the mountain. The Jesuit offered him freedom, but he simply couldn't receive it. Once they arrived and they saw the tribe, the chief recognized Mendoza, and it, didn't, and it looked like he would kill him because, of course, they thought that he might kidnap more of them just like he always, he'd always done. But when he pulled out his knife, the tribesmen moved it past his neck, and he cut the baggage free instead, pushing all of the weight, all of the armor, all the swords and pushing it into the river never to be seen again. His baggage was lost in the current. Just like Jesus takes our sins away as far as the east is from the west. Mendoza broke down in tears and he was finally able to receive forgiveness for his sins. 
He realized that there was nothing that he could do to earn righteousness. And in that moment, he surrendered. This scene in this movie is one of my favorites because it's an artistic expression of the gospel. So many of us hold on to our past. We hold on to all the bad decisions that we've ever made, and we choose to live under shame, weight, guilt, and the shadow of past mistakes. Even when people offer us forgiveness and freedom, we end up tying the old baggage back around our necks, trying to prove ourselves to earn God's favor and live a life of penance until we can finally be set free. That's not the gospel. The gospel of Jesus Christ sets you free from the weight of your sin and shame. The gospel says your old, life doesn't, your old life doesn't have to follow you around anymore. The gospel says that the junk from years ago, from last week, even from this morning, can be completely cut off, no longer defining who you are in Christ. How often do you feel like you could never be righteous because of your sin, because of your weaknesses or failures? How much weight... Do you force yourself to carry because you feel like you deserve to live a life of punishment? Haven't you carried the weight of your past mistakes long enough? The gospel of Jesus Christ says, Come to the cross, and I will take your sin and give you righteousness in its place. All you have to do is surrender, and you can be completely set free to hunger and to thirst for righteousness doesn't mean that you work harder to achieve it. It means that you run to the one who can provide you with everything that you need, a righteousness that's found in Christ alone. Let's pray.